Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we are welcoming the guests of the Oregon Bridge podcast. We have Ben Bowman and Alex Titus with us today. Um, welcome, guys. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. Our first crossover podcast ever. Yeah. So, what we're going to yeah, do is this, this will uh, be aired on both our podcast and on the Oregon Bridge podcast. So, uh, I think what we'll start out with is just kind of introduce ourselves. Um, I, the listeners are probably familiar with uh, myself and Nick. Uh, the Oregon Bridge podcast are probably familiar with you guys. So we'll just all four introduce ourselves. So um, Alex, why don't you start us off? Great. Yeah. And thanks. Uh, it took us 60 emails to get this <laughs> whole thing scheduled. So I'm glad we finally actually got it on the books. Uh, but yeah, really. Fans of gridlock. Yeah. <laughs> it was Ben's fault why it didn't. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, whoa. Uh, but yeah, really, really excited to be able to do this with you guys. Uh, I'm a native Oregonian, grew up in Westland. Uh, went to Westland High School, attended the University of Oregon, which is actually where I met this guy. Go Ducks. And we were roommates. Go Ducks. Go Ducks. Uh, plenty of political arguments about all sorts of crazy things. I was actually a really hardcore Ron Paul person in college. This is, is true. Uh, anyone who's, you know, the age of 19 to 20, I feel like is. Uh, so we had a lot of really crazy <laughs> arguments about drone strikes, gold standard, all those sort of libertarian <laughs> things. Uh, so we, we checked that box too. And I, uh, after graduated from college, I ended up working in Washington, D.C. for five years, uh, served in the Trump administration as an advisor for nine months, and also worked for President Trump's super PAC and worked for a couple of other consortium organizations in D.C. Uh, and now I own a technology consulting firm, and I'm excited to be back in Oregon. So there's cool. my brief summary. Cool. Ben, you want to go? Sure. Uh, ben Bowman, the token liberal for this evening's uh, proceedings. <laughs> Not if you ask a lot of the Republicans. I think we're pretty liberal. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm pleased to be joined by two colleagues. Yeah, right. I, will, I will say, I will say, Alex is the lone Trump supporter at this table. Ah. So I mean, just I do, I do enjoy that piece of uh, tonight. But um, I, uh, I serve on the Tiger Twelve School Board as a locally elected official. Um, I am a member of the Democratic Party, lifelong member. Um, I grew up in Oregon as well, went to U of O undergrad, as Titus mentioned, master's degree from Stanford in education policy, and that's what my day job is now. I work in education policy and uh, love talking politics, so I'm pleased to be here with you guys. You ran for state rep this last state time senator. Senate. State, state senator. State senator. Senate. Senate. Yeah. Burdick. Senator Ginny Burdick. In fact, you would have been in the uh, one of the House seats within my okay. district. Okay. Yes. So yes. you running against Ginny is about as, as good a chance as I have. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Got it. All Most right. people knew the outcome before <laughs> <laughs> all right uh nick nick that is me uh nick perlosky so i'm actually uh i'm ripping a stan pulliam our, our own merch shirt right now <laughs> uh what is gop gear.us gop gear.us we Geo- actually have GOP, some really funny shirts on that gop dash gear.us is this, is. Is this the before. first stan pulliam for governor shirt in existence 
I am not sure. We'll talk to him about this. <laughs> There's a very real chance that it is. This is the this could be the very first one. Uh, but now I'm kind of bummed because I took off my Oregon State shirt because I could be the lone lone Beaver fan at the table. Go Ducks! <laughs> Honestly, normally we I don't know how it ends up happening this way, but we generally end up interviewing more Beavers than Ducks, so you end up being outnumbered at this. So now I'm now I'm I'm the you're Payback. the token liberal. I'm the token Oregon State faner, and he's the tro- token Trump token Trump person. There we go. There we yeah, go. Exactly. a lot of tokens. <laughs> a lot, a lot of tokens. Um, so I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, lived in Texas a number of years, a couple of different spots in the country, uh, also D.C. for a couple of years. Um, I've been in Oregon for the last six and got involved actually with Bud Pierce in the 2016 race and then worked on Newt Bueller's campaign in 2018, which is where I met you, James. And I, we, you came up to me and said, uh, you know, we should keep this conversation going. Your candidate lost, my candidate lost. And I said, well, I have a face for radio. Let's get a podcast started. <laughs> and that's how we got to where we are today. Yeah. Okay. So James Ball, um, I also native Oregonian, grew up in Bend. I uh, went to Corbin University for my undergrad, Oregon for my MBA, uh, five years in active duty on, in the Army, three years at the Oregon National Guard, have been involved with the in politics really just for the past four or five years. Um, basically, since Trump got elected, uh, my he inspired my, you to be involved in, in public in, service in the in the negative sense. That I was so frustrated that Trump was the direction our party was going that it caused me to get involved in politics. So, uh, mostly involved in the Multnomah County Republican Party. Uh, ran for state representative in 2020, and I was saying on the way up here, I was out registered six to one, but I only lost five to one. Okay. So you know, I got, I got yeah. some uh, some <laughs> NAV votes. Uh, pretty excited about that, and uh, yeah, Nick and I've been doing this for two years, two and a half years now. Has it been wow. crazy? Yeah, we time flies when you're having we're on episode podcast. 14 or 15, so we got a yeah. ways to go. <laughs> nice, nice. We'll keep it up. It's, no, it gets, I just also have to ask about the shirt because it says oh, yes. Condoleezza. Colin, Clarence, and then Candace. Candace doesn't that quite Candace Owens? belong. I, well, sure. Okay. <laughs> One of these things is not I, like the other. I, I'm like Colin Pow or not Colin. Colin Powell. Excuse Colin me. Powell. I'm like yeah. Colin Powell and, Can- and Candace Owens. That's an, that's an interesting combo. <laughs> I was yeah. So anyway, I, I figured it was it was the point was to highlight black Republicans. You know, I've seen this shirt in a number of different. Um, Except I'm pretty sure Colin Powell is a Democrat now. Not uh, he definitely didn't vote for Trump. He, yeah, he hasn't he voted was, for Republican. I looked, I looked this up. Yeah. He, no, he he changed his registration in 2021. He was a Republican up until this year, and so I don't know if it was the January 6th or whatever, yeah. but he was a Republican up until this year. However, I don't think that you need to be a Republican to be on this shirt. I think that we can celebrate black excellence regardless of party. As so, long as your name starts with C. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only C. <laughs> but anyway, I, this is sort of my take on, you know, Democrats seem to think they have the, uh, the, the market cornered on, you know, black excellence. And it's just not the case. You know, there are plenty of black Republicans who have done great things. This is a, a handful of them that I decided to put on a shirt. So, if you want your own shirt, viewers, <laughs> viewers and listeners, <laughs> gop-gear.us. So, I think that's enough introduction. Um, one of the things that so we have a couple of things that we were going to talk about on here. Um, let's talk. Why don't you guys just give a little mini bio of your your podcast? We talked about ourselves. How about the the podcast and what your kind of thesis is compared to ours? 
So it's fairly similar, but a little bit different. So our, our thesis and Titus, please jump in, um, is essentially that, you know, Tip O'Neill famously said all politics is local. And we think that is less true today than it ever has been since he said it. Um, and that national trends, national people are having a greater influence on local politics and state politics than ever before. And that that's part of what's driving the polarization that we're seeing, the partisanship that we're seeing. Um, and there's some folks, and this is where we might, um, differ. There's some folks who think we need to combat this trend and that the future, uh, Kevin Frazier, who you recently had on the podcast, we had him on as well. That was part of the conversation is some folks are trying to resist this trend. And I think, uh, Alex and I are coming at this in a slightly different way saying the trend is one. So let's figure out what that means for our political parties, what that means for our discourse and try to build a constructive political culture in this state without trying to pretend that we're going to go back to the political dynamics of the eighties and nineties where moderates of both parties were sort of meeting in the middle. Um, that doesn't seem to be like a governable future for our state or country. So I think that's, that's kind of the thesis. Did I miss anything, Titus? Yeah. And part of it too, I think is not just the politics, but also the media aspect. Uh, and because you have a picture of Stan, Mayor Stan on your shirt, <laughs> he's a perfect example of this. I mean, there was a not a full profile, but uh, a pretty significant piece on Mayor Stan in the New York Times because he had uh, refused to abide by Governor Brown's lockdown. Which, of course, if you're thinking about this from through a broader lens, why is the New York Times reporting on the mayor of Sandy of a town with 10,000 people in it and basically the middle of nowhere, Oregon? Uh, so part of it, I think, is, is is the media lens. But I mean, you see this, too, not just on more liberal publications, but also on conservative ones, too. Right. I mean, Fox News, Daily Caller, all these sorts of publications. Anytime anything is happening in downtown Portland, like, you know, they're hitting on it or they're even sending out people to see what's happening here. And like people are becoming outraged basically from across the country of things that are happening that may be related to really local issues. So yeah, Ben and I think that this trend uh, isn't something that can be reversible, at least in sort of the political environment that we're in now and the media environment too. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the basis for us. And we, we just see this as continuing to happen and there's probably no way to stop it. So I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting thesis and it's obviously led to wonderful content and especially, you know, a farther right R and a, I guess, Moderate left, far left. I don't know. Where uh, I, I mean, I, I primaried. I, I primaried the majority leader, so I think I'm a, little, I'm a little left. <laughs> but it, it leads to great content. I feel like for me, I would, I would refer to that as the glass half empty thesis. I'd love to know your thoughts on whether or not you think it's inevitable. Whether or not you think there's anything that can be done about it. Is that a good thing that you have the nationalization of all local politics? Yeah, and in some way, it's actually. And this is sort of the second part of our thesis, but that. Issues that happen on a local level that, frankly, no one would have cared about before social media, national news now blow up and everybody gets to see about them, right? And I mean, this doesn't even need to just be political. I mean, I had friends from all over the country texting me yesterday saying, oh, my gosh, it was so hot in Portland over the last three days. Like, hmm. what's going on over there? This is crazy. And of course, those texts weren't political, but there was a lot of articles about climate change. How is this being impacted? Look at what's happening in the Pacific Northwest, things like that. Uh, so, yeah, I think that it's just... Because of how much information now people want to consume and that because the media through both the traditional media plus social media in general, like they just want to continuously feed people content and new stuff. And I think that's the easiest way to be able to do it. So uh, until those business models are able to change or maybe there's kind of a rise in local media, but I don't even really know if that would make a dramatic dent in this because... Uh, Everyone's on Twitter. Everyone's on Facebook. Everyone's on Instagram. And like, that's where a lot of this stuff spreads. Except for Donald Trump. He's not on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Hey, yo. <laughs> but what, what, I, what I would say in response is that I actually do think that um, there's 
there's some reason to be optimistic about this trend, which is the thesis isn't that compromise is impossible, but it's that the issues on which we're going to compromise or the way in which we're going to compromise look different now. So economic populism is on the rise in both parties. Mm-hmm. Some people think that's bad, um, but someone like me... I guarantee it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> some people like me who think corporations and wealthy people should pay a little bit more and the government should spend more money on building things um, actually stand to see public policy benefits based on the new dynamic. So that's one of the interesting crossover pieces is like... Alex and I obviously disagree on a lot, but um, there's some broader sort of economic populist pieces of the equation where I think there is room for collaboration, um, although y'all might be on the outside looking well, in on this. <laughs> I think my my point is not is not so much that it's not happening. I think it's very clear that this is happening, at least to, in my, my perspective. Uh, my issue is I don't think it's a good thing. I think if you look outside the window right now, you will see homeless people and they are you know were out in the heat this past weekend in 115 degree 45 people died um there is a instagram <laughs> instagram account that just started out that's uh, called uh portland looks like I shit just we were just him him need to have on the car right here on the podcast it's yes. it's yeah i don't know who runs it but um portland looks like shit and they have like 40,000 followers. They have like 40,000 followers. Yeah. It's uh, so now that I said that, I have to click the explicit content on the podcast. <laughs> so apologies. R rated rational Republican. But I love it. <laughs> this is something that is a local issue that can be fixed by Ted Wheeler and the Democrats in City Hall. How? And they simply do not. How would you fix homelessness? Uh, you provide services and then you sure. are firm with the people who decline the services. You sound very much like my friend Stan Pulliam, uh, who basically <laughs> gave the same line. And I mean, what- it's, it's not, it's not easy, but it is simple. You, you provide I, the so I disagree. services. I, I disagree that it's easy and I disagree that it's simple. And my main reason is, is this is, and this is what I said to the mayor is like he, he had the same sort of, you know, provide resources, be firm when they won't, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That, that does not solve for any of the front end upstream issues of why people become homeless. Like that's all for the people who are homeless then, but you're, you're basically creating a system where we just have to spend millions of dollars once people become so, in this terrible situation to provide services and resources. Et I would say part of the services is mental health counseling and addiction services, because if you walk around town, that is the primary 100%. problem. It's, yeah. I mean, we can, we can talk about affordable housing, but I don't believe that affordable housing is what's causing homelessness like that. That is a problem, but I think it's a separate problem from homelessness. Homelessness is primarily drug addiction and mental health. And so you, if you provide housing transitional housing with those services i think you'll go a long way to helping the people and you can clean up the streets because a lot of a lot of people with mental health issues or with addiction uh, will decline services because either they are not mentally capable of helping themselves or they just they're they're comfortable enough living in a tent and shooting up heroin that they don't they know that if they go to the shelter they're gonna have to be clean and sober and so you, there, there are ways to do it. And like I said, it's, it's not going to be easy. You have to find all these people. You have to get everybody into these, into these, um, these transitional you houses. You have to spend a ton of money. You do have to spend a ton of money, but we're already spending a ton of money. I mean, the amount, just the healthcare and the police and the 45 people who died this weekend from heat exposure is, uh, is unacceptable. And I think if you actually do the math, which I haven't, but other people have, it's actually cheaper to take care of these people mm-hmm. than For just sure. allow them to use our emergency services. And I think I honestly, I all due respect, but I think you're begging the question that you can get to a, a number of zero of homeless population. I think there's always going to be some amount of. Yep. 
individuals with mental health issues, individuals with substance abuse issues, individuals with, you know, PTSD type symptoms. And I think while it's very important to have the, the mental health care, the services to address those and to get individuals from that state into a, a place where they can be hopefully working and hopefully contributing, hopefully be able to, to be self-sustaining, you're never going to solve the, the input. You're never going to get that throughput down to zero to the start of that pipeline. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I'd lo- obviously love to see fewer people. I'd love to see the government that is effective enough and intelligent enough to be able to solve that problem as best it can. But for now, the problem for me is the middle where we have a very clearly defined problem. And I- I'd rather look at the problem that's in front of me and look at the look at the larger problem once we get a handle on this. I'd rather solve the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I see what you're saying and I don't just... Well, you have to take steps in the right direction. You yeah, can't, you can't just say the no, perfect for sure. solution and anything short of the perfect solution is not No, yeah, and I, and I totally agree. You know? And I actually think that's what... Um, I haven't been tracking it super closely. Maybe you all have or maybe you have, Titus, but um, there's, you know, the the housing bond. Um, they're mm. kind of... They're they're charting out how they're going to spend those dollars in with Multnomah County and City of Portland and Metro. Um, and I think they're broadly going in a similar direction which is building sites where um you can actually send homeless folks because that's part of this is what one of the things titus and i was talking about is there's the the court case recently that basically says the folks, Boise. yeah folks have the a right Boise. to sleep uh where they are unless you provide them an alternative and that's the key piece is what's the alternative um yeah. so yeah i think like I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I can think my point more broadly is like there's a reason why people are becoming homeless. I do think affordable housing is part of it. I don't think it's driving it. I think addiction and mental health is. But like if you're an addict in recovery, like and you're, you know, how much money do you think you're going to make in a job after you've, you know, been homeless for a couple of years? You're going to start at the bottom end of the of the threshold and where are you going to live in Portland? <laughs> I mean, where, like there, there's a lot of structural issues that make this super hard to solve. And I don't think like more shelter beds is going to actually solve See, the problem. And I feel like you just hit the nail on the head. There are literal structural issues. There's stuff that comes up all the time and you get somebody in the Pearl District and they get their condo association together and they say, we can't have a new apartment complex here because it will obstruct yeah. my view of the Fremont Bridge. And I really like – and it is – don't get me wrong. It's a very pretty bridge. I would want that view as well. And that is, to some extent, going to affect the resale value when you go to get out of that condo. But at the same but time... But we should agree that that problem is way more important to solve than... But the, well, and that's, that's exactly Let's talk right. about the urban yeah. growth boundary. Let's talk about the urban growth boundary. Say, yeah, that's better. the other thing that is prevent that is keeping rates too high. I mean, and this is this is kind of me coming from at it from a, from a conservative standpoint, is you get rid of these governmental provided barriers and you can have affordable housing just through marketplace through supply and demand but when you artificially constrain a city with an urban growth boundary and you artificially constrain it with red tape and views of the fremont bridge and etc etc you're going to end up with not enough supply and too much demand I will say, as someone who uh, drove down to Sacramento for a wedding this summer, I'm very grateful for the urban growth boundary. <laughs> Hot take. I mean, Hot take. First time somebody said so, that on these mics. <laughs> I mean, so that's actually a good point. Um, I was listening to uh, a podcast with Dan Crenshaw, and one of the things that Which he- Which one? Oh, uh, Joe Rogan. Okay. Joe Rogan. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. So one of the, one of the things he said really struck, struck me. He says, legislation is not about- you, Legislation does not solve problems. It's a trade-off. Every legislation is a trade-off. And so when you look at something like the urban growth boundary, yeah, you get the benefits of you drive 45 minutes outside of the city and you don't have just urban sprawl. sprawl. Yeah. 
But on the flip side, you have artificially increased rents and lower supply, housing supply because you have to cram everything in. So it's it's a trade-off. I mean, you, you, can, you can be pro or against, but just as long as we recognize that when you say, I like the urban growth boundary, what you're also saying is we're, we're accepting the, uh, the, the consequence of inflated housing prices. Well, maybe we can all just agree that um, we need to prevent Californians from moving to Oregon. <laughs> here, that here. Build the wall. Build the wall. Build the wall. So I, I, I'll take that chance to to kind of dive into James and my thesis because hmm. I, um, in a way, I feel like it's a little bit the exact opposite of what you guys said. <laughs> uh, like, I at least personally feel that the only way Republicans are ever really going to have a shot here in Oregon to especially to win some statewide races is to to be able to, for all intents and purposes, forget about the R label by their name and to remove any connotations that it's got, especially these days with national stuff when Donald Trump was president and all the any kind of negative connotations that came along there. But if you can look at Stan Pulliam and say, here's a person who wants to do this, this, and this, and I like some of those things and I dislike some of those things. Here's the demo. He's going to run against, pick your favorite, Tina Kotek or Tobias, Tobias Reed or who, yeah, yeah, whoever you want. We've got a long want. list on our side. And <laughs> like, okay, let's actually look at the ideas that they're both espousing and let's look at the experience that they've got and let's look at who actually could sit in Mahonia Hall and really make the decisions that are going to drive this state forward and pick up where we're down below and you know can have us continue to accelerate in the areas that we're already accelerating and i i cannot imagine a world where republicans can win here in the state of oregon if we keep getting asked about donald trump or we keep getting asked about kevin mccarthy or we keep getting asked about nancy pelosi and in my view there is a world in which we at the state level can look at somebody and say that's a really good person who should win elected office, regardless of whether he's got an R or a D by his name. I got to bring in Titus. Yeah, I was going to say, my my pushback to that is maybe that even is the best answer, but why would Democrats ever let us do that? Uh, And the perfect example here is Newt, who I was uh, very supportive of when he ran for governor, and I wish he would be governor right now. But uh, no one actually thought Newt Bueller was going to like undo Oregon's abortion law or anything like that. But of course... He still was attacked numerously. And I mean, you can even go back and find the old mailer saying Newt Bueller aligns with Donald Trump's abortion policies, which is some of the most blatant politicalism ever. Obviously, that isn't true to any extent. I don't know. When he ran for Congress, he uh, sounded a little different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he was still Trump, consistent yeah. on the abortion issue. But so I uh, will say how you frame stuff. You like, say yeah. not anybody was was believing that. I anecdotally, I talked to several friends who were D's who were like, I really like this guy and he seems really sharp and he seems really personable. And I, you know, I brought him out to their events, but they were like, I just don't know if he's going to keep Roe intact. And I just, I just want to make sure that that's there. And so Kate Browns or the SEIU or whoever it was, was putting those ads on, putting those mailers out. They were at least effective to. For sure. Three different people that I well, talked to. Well, and if you to. care. No, 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 I agree. That's exactly what I'm saying is they, Democrats will want to keep nationalizing things because. They don't actually have to run on issues that way. They can just say, Donald Trump, super scaries. Don't vote for the guy with the same party next to his name. And then that's basically how they can continue to win elections. Well, but also, so so this gets to something that I think you should weigh in on, Titus, which is like, if I'm a progressive voter or even like a left of center voter or even someone who cares about choice as an issue, there's no world in which Newt Bueller is a more appealing option to me than Kate Brown, regardless of Newt's position on abortion. So 
that begs the question to me, Tice, and I really do want to get into this. Do you actually think Republicans can win in Oregon statewide as someone who supports Donald Trump? And if so, <laughs> what is that pathway? It yeah, raises I think, the question. Yeah, I think, I think if you're running line, on the statewide level, you have to support Donald Trump. Uh, and your your level of support can vary. Like, for example, I think uh, Stan is a Trump supporter. Now, do I think on every single mailer he's going to send to every voter, is he going to say... Stan Pulliam stands with Donald Trump in 2024, 2028, 2032. Probably <laughs> and not. Don Jr. in 2032. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, to make it past the primary uh, and to make sure that you're keeping on with your base, I think at this point you have to hold some of those conservative positions. And I think Trump is probably the most important one, at least to this point. Maybe that won't be the same case in two years. Uh, maybe it will be some different issue. Maybe he'll just retire. He won't engage in politics anymore. Uh, probably we can, we can only, we can only hope. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> so I feel like this is I feel like this is a fun trifecta because I actually disagree with both of you guys on it. <laughs> I'd say, uh, Ben, you're absolutely right that if you are a, a progressive liberal, you know, socialist gun steel and whatever words republicans would want to call yeah, you yeah. yeah you're absolutely never going to vote for newt i think you're if never going to vote for any republican right never going to vote for any republican yeah. i think if you are center left i think if you are centrist moderate independent and are a registered democrat but actually are looking at the two and kind of weighing both of them you could look at them and i i mean i talked to a lot of democrats who did not like kate brown and they and they yet voted for newt newt lost monica webby lost bud pierce lost like the moderates on your side have a horrible track record of actually winning over the last 10 years well everybody on our side has a horrible track record. but this <laughs> is my point There's joe, a joe yeah. ray perkins came closer to beating jeff merkley than monica webby now it was a fraction of a percent, but that's it. That is well, wild. That a, is wild. There was no, a constitution. A there was a constitution candidate in that race, and I think that threw a slight wrench in those gears. Of the but we're talking there. about a point or two. And B Monica Webby was an extremely bad candidate. She obviously she had a ton of issues, and even well, even now the people that know her are just like she was like uh, the t- she was the top tier recruit. They spent millions and millions of dollars. The, I mean, there John, was, John McCain came out. John here. McCain yeah. came John out. Donald was something for her, and she turned. Out to be a really bad. As soon as she got the nomination, she what? What was it that she ended up saying? She had some really huge. Oh, it was massive the stocking. It was the stocking thing. There she you showed go. up yeah. to an ex boyfriend's house, I think, and the police were called or something. And it was a big know. donor. In it Oregon. was Andrew Miller. It was Andrew Miller. Some guy. really Jeez. crazy thing, and it's like that. Like. I'm sorry. I, I don't care which politics are, yeah. re- right, left, or center. That's she was just a bad candidate. What I, about I, Newt? What's the Newt thesis? Because I, I mean, he wrote scholar, state representative. Like he sort of checked the boxes you'd expect to have a like a competitive race, but really is yeah. the same margin as the secretary of state lost. And he was he would have been a fantastic governor. Newt's thing was I I will offer one criticism of Newt, and that I think is he is not backslappy enough. He is not. Retail. The guy that you'd want to get a beer with. He's not the guy that you want to talk about the the it's Ducks game with. He's yeah. Yeah, very, and like even like I, so I and sorry, I, dude, I love you, buddy. I, I, yeah, I, I worked for him. I was in the office, and you know, a really nasty op ed or a really nasty ad would come out, and he would come in and would just be very analytical and would very I literally surgical in the way he talked about yeah. it, and instead of just saying like, "Hey, man." These guys are nuts. Like, we got to do something. Like, that's, you know, you want, you want a little, a little Trumpy, a little Trumpiness. (laughs) No, I want no Trumpiness. But I'll also say that Monica Webby ran in 2014, which is a fantastically good year for Republicans. Uh, Dennis Richardson won in, in 2014, which is a fantastically good year for Republicans. Was it 14? 
No, yeah. he won in sixteen. Uh, he 16. Lo- I'm sorry. Yeah, he he ran in 2014 and lost. He won in 2016. Oh, he governor. He ran for governor. He ran for 14, governor. 14, yeah. and then sixteen. Okay. Yeah. For- and Newt also ran in 2018, which is a fantastically good year for Democrats in blue states. This was their first chance to run a against Donald Trump and you saw Democrats turn out in droves. You saw the turnout was unlike anything anybody's ever seen. That seems to support our thesis, Alex, doesn't it? <laughs> like the part we're, we're not that, disagreeing that with your not, thesis. Yeah. I, I disagree well, that it's I, a good I, thing. I, I, I will disagree with the thesis, but I, I will say that in the in the era of, to your point, Democrats being able to say, Donald Trump is bad, vote for us, and Newt howling at the wind and saying like, I want to fix your roads in your schools. <laughs> and Kate Powell's not about Trump? anything about that. And like, we're still 47th in the country in education or whatever. And Kate, all Kate Brown has to do is just be like, uh, Donald Trump. And she got, uh, she, uh, the race actually was a lot closer in the last two weeks. She had a ton of like get out the vote stuff and a ton of money gets spent or whatever. And she really like pulled out neck and neck. And I will say she like Newt lost by the same six points that Dennis lost by in 2014. Mm-hmm. So I don't, if people didn't remember him from his statewide run for secretary of state in 2012, I think it was, he had the chance to build up the name recognition. I, he would have been a shoe in for the seat in Congress if it wasn't for Jimmy Crumpacker and all the goofy <laughs> money in the ORT. What was the Crumpacker rhyme? It was like, Crumb backer. Oh, tr- Trump backer. <laughs> Crumb backer. Trump backer. Yeah. That was that was a great ad. <laughs> I do I do think the Dennis Richardson case um, is really interesting because so he was he was the perfect person to be a sort of democratic boogeyman, right? He'd said some really out there things on LGBT issues. He's very far to the right. He absolutely. But was. when he ran for Secretary of State, he was bas- his case was basically like forget about that. I'm running for Secretary of State to be a mm-hmm. good Secretary of State. I'm going to focus on audits and elections and business services and corruption. And cor- that's what I'm running on. And there were c- certainly some issues on the left that we could get into. But I mean, I actually think that the that that is that would be a good counterpoint to our thesis, which is well, like Dennis Richardson you. one. We, we yeah. had um, <laughs> Suzanne Weber on the podcast mm-hmm. as well. You know, so uh, state representative from Tillamook area. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that she really pushed in her podcast. If you guys haven't listened to it, listeners, viewer, um, listen Check to it that out. one. It's, <laughs> Suzanne it's Weber. a pretty yeah. good one. And even her campaign manager said he didn't know that she was a Republican until they started working together and tried to get her into the legislature. She was a uh, school teacher, school board, mayor of Tillamook, uh, just super involved in the community and focused on issues of the local issues yeah. and did not put herself out there as a Republican except by the, the R by her name and ended up uh, taking that seat from the Democrats, from you guys. So It would um, be interesting to see, too, what her... Like the national level, they've got all this reporting on like, you know, votes with Nancy Pelosi, X percent of the time. It would be interesting mm-hmm. to see how aligned she was with um, Representative Drazen's caucus versus the Democratic. Because I bet I actually bet she probably has a relatively bipartisan voting record, although I don't actually know. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, that's that's kind of to, in contrary to your point. I think that's how a Republican wins statewide. That's how a Republican wins wins a, a state representative state Senate seat is by not focusing on the Republican brand. You focus on the local issues and being involved in the community. And I mean, maybe the you're swimming upstream with the everything being nationalized, which I agree, that's what's happening. But in Oregon, where Democrats have a significant uh, registration advantage, I think the way that you get Democrats and moderates to vote for a Republican is to not not align themselves with the Republican brand. 
And that's kind of that. That's kind of what we're trying to do here. Is and we're we're not Trump guys. Like I said, the reason I got into politics is because I was frustrated with with the Trump Republicanism and the national brand. I hate the national brand. I want to just talk about you know fixing the roads and getting kids graduated from school. Fires, and fires, fires going on already. And Are you guys? Do you align with like um, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, like that? In what way? Yes. Like, like when you look at, you know, you obviously don't like the national brand of the Republican Party. Who can blame you? Uh, <laughs> are there are there figures where you are like, these are the people who should be in charge. These are the people who should be leading. Well, Dan Crenshaw, you know, okay. love that guy. He's kind of a culture um, war. He's a Trump guy, right? He is yeah. very he, like conservative. He's a, he's, a, he's a Trump guy. But again, I, I think that we're, we are the rational Republican for a reason, because so many of these I, I, I don't want to speak badly of anyone in particular, but. So many of these people are there, there's two axes, I think. There's the there's the left, right, conservative, liberal, whatever, and that's like how much government do you want in your life? And then there's also the crazy, not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and the two the two are distinct. The two are distinct. Yes. You can be very conservative yeah. and also not crazy. Mitt and Romney's you, a good example. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the old so, Mitt Romney. <laughs> I, I, honestly, see, go go pull up his DW nominate. Go look at the way he votes. He's still very, very conservative. Sure. But people like wasn't he the deport get, yourself? Too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He got heckled okay. on a plane by Trump supporters. Like you're not one of you're not supporting. It's like he does everything you want. Come on, guys. <laughs> and I mean, I think Liz Cheney's in that same boat. We're very conservative, but also not a Trump fan. Um, I think I. Again, we focus more on on local statewide sure, politics. So I, I'm not as read up on Liz Cheney's voting record. I couldn't tell you off the top she's, of my head, but she's, what, a, she's much more conservative than Elise which uh, is Stefanik, who just got sure. elected as right. So that, and that's what I'm saying. There's, there's two there's two spectrums here. There's conservative, liberal, and then there's also crazy, not crazy. And I think we, there's, the, the maybe, way, that maybe there's, you I, get I, into the the depth of of like Trump support versus not Trump support. Like there's these are all separate from each other. See, though, I think what what Trump did is he sort of upended. Uh, those definitions in general, because yeah. one of the things that I, if you're a Trump supporter, you're conservative. If you're not Trump supporter. You're, yes. you're liberal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the, the definitions of those have changed dramatically since 2016. And I'll, I'll give you the example of that. As I remember during the Republican debate, the uh, 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 host went around and said, "All right, who's going to cut Social Security and Medicare?" And everybody raised their hand <laughs> except for Donald Trump. He was the only. Oh candidate yeah, that's who would right. Say, Fascinating. There's going to be no cuts to Social Security. There's going to be no cuts to Medicare under my watch. And turns out, Conservative Inc. in DC went bananas. Like, <laughs> this guy defends entitlements. He supports blah 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 blah. But like, voters literally didn't care because all those sort of like traditional Conservative Inc. issues. We're actually really just like donor funded issues. Uh, voters care a lot about trade. They care a lot about border protection. They clearly care a lot about cultural issues too. Uh, which I actually think should maybe turn into a little bit of discussion too, but like sort of what your guys' views on like something like big tech are. Uh, because we talked a little bit about the homelessness issue earlier. And Ben, you talked about saying, okay, where's the money going to come from? Uh, and I actually think something that would be really interesting yeah. is if Josh Hawley was an elected official right now. And he said, oh, yeah, Ben, you know where the money's going to come from? We're going to tax Google and we're going to make Google pay for it. You would probably say, yeah, yeah. let's do it. And, and there's a bunch. And I think that's where the Democratic Party is. But you all would disagree with that. Like increasing taxes on corporations is still bad news for you. So, so let, let me not tell at you. all. OK. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let the me rational Republicans disagree. Um, <laughs> we actually kind of do it like people that's always good. email yeah. us and they're um, just like, you guys are too much. Like I was corp- like, mm. corporations <laughs> don't pay tax. Their, their customers do. Any any tax you levy on a business is passed right or along to their customers. That's not always true. 
It's it's mostly true. I mean, they can, but then but but then consumers can have a choice. If it's if it's if it's across the board, um, if you if you raise every if you raise the corporate income tax on every corporation in in an industry, how would how would Facebook all, how would Facebook pass on the tax to consumers? Sell well, more of your information okay. <laughs> and come into okay, your house. Point. <laughs> like your kids' fair information, point. we're getting that now. <laughs> this is your routing number, right? <laughs> fair point. So okay. I, I, I will say I was a um, – I'm sorry. I just kind of left you. No, in. go like, ahead. If you go wanna, ahead. No. Okay. Right. I, I, I was a, a fan point. of the Trump tax cuts in 2017 when we lowered the corporate tax rates from what, 25 or 30% to the 19%, I think they got down to. 35 to 21. 35 to 21. Yeah. And that makes us far more in line with where the rest of the world is. And I think that's overall, that's a good thing. You stop seeing all these Burger King gets bought by a, a VC firm in Ireland, and now Burger King is an Irish company. So they have to pay. Like you stop. Is that seeing, true? Is that true? Or is yeah, that, just, it is, that yeah. actually happened. Yeah, that's wow. a real thing that happened. And like you, that happens several times with like well-known American companies. That it's just like, oh, reverse mergers. Yeah, now yeah. Papa John's is an English company. Like we'll have our you know jalapeno popper with Guinness tonight. I <laughs> and like you stop seeing goofy stuff like that because at the end of the day, like. You have to look at who you are and look at what your competition is. If Ford and Chevy and Toyota all charge $25,000 for a truck and Nissan comes out and charges $70,000 for a truck, Nissan is no longer competitive. And we as America with 35% tax rates, we're no longer competitive. The flip side of that is I will give every marginal dollar that I have to the government in the form of taxes if I believe they are more effective with it than I will be. If they can increase my utility via better roads, via better public education, via fewer homeless people on the streets, via a better support system so you don't have homeless people on the streets in the first place like we were talking about earlier. If that matters more to me than an extra dollar spent on my wife and I's Europe vacation coming up in a couple of weeks. That's an or, important vacation. That's it. Well, it is like it's it's been three years and I haven't taken the woman on a honeymoon yet. So it's like, her patience is starting to I'm wear in the a same boat. Thin. It's only been six months, but I'm in big trouble. So, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's just like Madeline's like, yeah, you want to catch that flight now? So, but all that said, I would have one fewer tapas plate in the south of Spain when we go to Europe this summer if Ted Wheeler can actually keep fewer homeless people on the streets. The problem is it's not what the level of taxes are. The problem is conservatives, I think, very oftentimes, very rightly, point out the fact that the government doesn't do that. They don't take that extra dollar that I give them in the form of higher taxes and spend it better than I would, or I, I should say spend it in a more effective manner than I would. They take it and it goes to some goofy, crazy thing. And I say, look, I, I, yeah, I want to see fewer homeless people. Yeah, I want to see fewer potholes in the roads. But also, I want to save for my retirement. I want to go play poker with Jimbo and take all his money again. I want to have resources to do all of these things. And yeah, all right, you see how I just worked that in there, just kind of kept rolling, not giving him a chance to respond. Um, but I, I, I would be more than happy to give any extra dollar that I have to the government if I think they can spend it better than me. The problem is they don't. And this is what this is one of the things I like to argue about on this podcast is that I don't care what the size of government is. I care about what the effectiveness of government is. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I, th I think we're just going to get to a philosophical place. Like, I, I, I think it's an. Well, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, Phil sure. Yeah. Well, philosophical difference to me, it's yeah. like the, the ancient myth of like, there's so much waste, fraud and abuse in government. And if we could just get rid of the waste, fraud and abuse. Oh, my gosh. We, our programs will be so it's like. You know, like, so I'm on the board of a school, a school district, yeah. like 
almost all of our money goes to people. We're paying for teachers and administrators and like, you know, like, I don't, I don't know if you follow the Student Success Act at all. A little bit, um, yeah. But like they raise taxes on corporations. This was a very controversial the thing. Backdoor mm-hmm. M97 thing. You kind of is a cat tax, corporate activity yeah. tax. Um, so yeah, certainly some industries had a case to make about why it was harder for them than other industries, etc. But like, there's no waste, fraud, and abuse in that. Like, you can pick out very specific instances, but by and large, schools are using that money to pay for nurses and mental health professionals and getting rid of what, like, we did pay to play fees so more kids can play sports and access extracurricular activities. Like, I just don't see this, like, I agree, like, we are aligned in terms of, maybe we can just agree that the city of Portland is a mess. <laughs> on, that, on that, we very much agree. And we can work together on that. So, I, two points I'd love your opinion on specifically about that. The first is, I think a lot of that money, I think you're right, it, it goes to a lot of good places, but also it goes to a lot of PERS overhead costs. And I think... We already, we already did this. PERS, as, <laughs> being, did the PERS as, thing. as messy as it is, I think there's a lot of problem, problems there. The second thing is, I you were talking about big corporations like needing to pay more taxes and needing to pay their... You haven't used the words fair share yet, but I like. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. I'll, I'll, you, can, you can attach it to me. I'll Same own it. Well, yeah, they got to pay their of, fair share. A lot of people on the left will. Yeah. Uh, you know who got exempted from that is Nike, Nike. and Intel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those. That was, that's, that was bad. That's the yeah, biggest companies we've got. But it's, uh, of course, it's Democrats in Salem that let those guys get away with it because, of course, all the Nike money and all the Intel money goes back into helping reelect Democrats. And how would. Probably a lot of their voters to, you know, get the six figure salaries at those companies. So that's actually something <laughs> well, I'd like Julia to see. Julia Rim Edwards is a Nike, Nike executive. She's top tier candidate. For I mean, that's what I actually like to see the GOP attack Wait, so more. This is, this is really interesting because, like, Nick, you're like kind of aligned with what I think Titus would say. Which oh, is no, like, well, actually, yeah. I mean, I was agreeing with a lot of the stuff that Nick was saying earlier. Uh, is that my, dude, I, I think Trump 2024, yeah. you heard it here first. <laughs> Rational Republican. Nick is on the advisory board already. It's crazy. <laughs> if he takes my call, Donald Trump is on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that the GOP has become obsessed with this like generic free market orthodoxy of just yell the words free markets and limited government, which don't actually mean anything. And And lower taxes, right? And lower taxes taxes to some extent. And I think that especially on the Oregon level, that's really unappealing to a lot of those unaffiliated voters. And I mean, Nick, you're totally right. Is that all that is, is a bailout for a majority wealthy, white, suburban Democratic voters. Like that, that carve out, that's all that I see what that is. I imagine that the vast majority of workers for both those organizations are voting for Democrats and they're literally bailing out their brunch crowd voters because let me, of that. Let me, let me devil's advocate. I don't actually think this is what I believe, but what they say is cool. You want to, you want to have Nike and Intel included? We're going to lay off thousands of employees because we just can't afford your big taxes, Salem. You, that, you call their bluff? You say, you know what? No, I, you're making I, billions of dollars. We're going to tax you. I think what's more likely is we're going to spend half a million dollars on campaigns fighting this unless you give us a car ride. <laughs> Fair. That, that's, I think right. that's much more likely it is. We're like, we're going to fight this tooth and nail unless you give us a carve out. And so they carve it out. I, I think there's there's the the grocery association also got a carve out. Um, Did they? So they were they, they tried to fight it, I think. Weren't they? Did yeah. they? For stu- I, so, so yeah, so you're like... One, one of the iterations of it, I thought they had they were carved out. Um, Maybe Pete... Yeah, it's complex. Anyway. They they did a little piece of it. But that, is in, that actually is a really good analysis. Like the, the people... People who have good lobbyists and can spend a lot of money on campaigns can like avoid the drama of a, you know, multi-million dollar ballot measure fight and just say, listen, we're not going to spend a bunch of money to kill your thing, but just, just take us just out take of it. Just take us thing. out of it. I... 
I guarantee that's what happens. Yeah. So I'll let me just for a brief second just to appease any hardcore right people that are actually still listening. <laughs> I don't think they are. I think, I think I did just, you have many of those? I think I just pissed them those all ago. off. Yeah. But this is exactly the problem with Oregon is there are exactly two major large corporations that are here. And I, I grew up in Texas. I, my dad still lives in Texas. So I get back once a year. I very often in my head do a, a compare and contrast Oregon versus Texas. And every time I go home to see my dad, Tesla is there. Facebook is moving there. Amazon just built HQ2 there. We don't, I mean, can you guys name any large company that's moved from somewhere else to Oregon? Can you guys name any startup that's IPO'd based here in Oregon? Dutch like, Brothers is about to IPO. Yeah, I was, I was that's, say, yeah. Dutch Brothers <laughs> really awesome. Dutch Brothers the first one, is the only the first one in like 20 years, in, though. It yeah. literally is yeah. like decades. It's a, been a decades long period of time. And if you don't have pro-business, pro-growth, pro-economic policies, which the state of Oregon does not. I mean, I very briefly was on Rick Perry's staff when I lived in Texas. Wow. Rick Perry put up ads out in billboards in Chicago and Los Angeles just like, hey, like, do you hate paying the taxes here? Like, I would too. Come to Texas. And then they would. Yeah, so your kids are going to get taught creationism in school, but the business environment is so good. Yeah. <laughs> but now you have fewer money that you're spending in taxes, so you can go hire a tutor and like the system keeps on track. But I mean, but seriously, like it's, it's my brother's in Dallas. It's once a week. I just sent him an alert yesterday. Goldman Sachs is going to make their new headquarters in Dallas. They're going to get out of New York. They're going to get to Dallas. Like once a week, there's Do a they, major company moving to Dallas. They've Actually, had a, they've had a pretty big office there for a while. It, but. it has been a big office, but like that's officially kind of like where they're going to make their. Yeah, footprint. but I mean, no. To your broader point, I've actually wanted to do a podcast on. Seattle, lots of big companies. San Francisco, lots of big tech companies. Portland, not really a tech scene. Like, why are we sort of the only ones missing on the West? Like, what is going on there, basically? But I mean, going to your broader point, like, I'm not anti-business by any means. I mean, but I think that the carve-outs are ridiculous, especially as everybody else is getting the tax yeah. increase. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it'd be better to just cut well, it so, across so the board, basically, or get rid of some of those regulations and red tape. That's causing companies to be able to come anyway. Because I mean, and there is democratic states that have really good business environments that I would say are still run by pretty progressive people. So yeah, I think Oregon it's, is just frankly missing the mark on this compared to mo even most blue states. I Pennsylvania, I think, is a good example. I'm from Pittsburgh, which has a blue mayor. The state has a blue governor and has for uh, at least, I think, six years, eight years now. Um, but they're, every company and their uncle is moving to pittsburgh right now uber has a startup there facebook google duolingo i went to carnegie mellon that's they came out of carnegie mellon they're like we're gonna stick around here and like you can be a blue state that is pro-business I, I think to your point but oregon is not and i'll also i think you just gave the signal we're starting gonna start to wrap up i just want to ask did we spend most of this podcast talking about oregon stuff or did we spend most of this podcast talking about national stuff Ooh, somebody's thesis just won. <laughs> well, I think that's like, like saying, was both. that's like going to a city council meeting and being like, did we spend more time? <laughs> All right. Well, with that, um, one of the things we like to do when we finish up an episode is ask our guests who their favorite Republican is. So, uh, I don't know. One of you guys want to go first, take a stab at this? Ben, I, I want to hear your. I already favorite. know. It, it, it better be Alex Titus. <laughs> or maybe the rest of the Alex Titus, if you look over his notepad, has written Donald Trump in really big letters. <laughs> Uh, but for me, it actually is very easy. Um, my favorite Republican is also my favorite Oregonian of all time, and it's Tom McCall, hmm. who I imagine nice. you've heard before on this podcast. But I will also note that uh, Tom McCall, before he passed, uh, left the Republican Party because of what he saw as, si I think, similar to the dynamic uh, today with Trump is uh, he's, the party left him. But he was Republican during his governorship. and I feel like if you are 
if you don't like the way the party's going, that's why a more reason to be involved rather than to. I was going to ask you all actually why didn't why didn't Trump drive you to leave and say I'm done like a lot of folks because if if we leave there's there's no one else to uh, the only people that are left are are the people who like Titus are pushing this in the wrong direction. <laughs> so, I feel like that's also the glass half empty thesis. I do, do you guys watch West Wing? Love West Wing, my man. It, it, it got bad in later seasons, but <laughs> <laughs> the first season was fantastic. President Santos, so season yeah, two, I, I was like, what the Jimmy hell is Spitz going as on? president was like, oh my. Have God. you seen In the Heights yet? Absolutely, Jimmy oh Smith with the voice. Jimmy Smith, sing to me, sing to me, Jimmy Smith. But I, there was a line, Bingo Bob, actually, as vice president in the West Wing says, if you're a, you're a baseball coach and you see two players and you see them get to first base, run from home plate to first base in the same amount of time, and one looks beautiful and has perfect form, and one is flailing around, what a, who do you want to coach? So, of course, you want to coach the guy who's flailing right. because that's they the one better. You, yeah, that's one you can improve. That's one you can make exceed. That's one you can get there in an even quicker time so you're saying there's lots of flailing in the republican party today. i would say if flailing is the only adjective used, just we got off scot-free on this episode there are so many more worse adjectives but the democratic party i think time and time again in the state of oregon offers flawed candidates and a poor vision and has very little results to actually show for winning all the elections that they do whereas republicans yeah, we don't win a lot. But we're scrappy, man. We field good candidates. <laughs> Joe Ray for Perkins every time. and uh, yeah, right. I, she didn't win anything. Yeah, I would say more like Christine Drazen. Yeah, you know. this time she will win. Leader Drazen. <laughs> I see it. Like Stan can make a run for it. Bud Pierce can make a run for it. Whoever gets the nomination, I think there's a lot of good opportunity. And once that actually takes place, if we actually get a good Republican Party or at least several good Republican candidates here in Oregon. We can have some absolutely amazing public policy in what is an already absolutely amazing state. And wouldn't that be an amazing win? Titus, your response? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I also I also realized I thought that you said West World. Also a good West, show. I was like Vice President. When, when, Wait, when no, that, I don't remember that plot. Line. Vice President is I was a like, robot. This is the robots and the cowboys. <laughs> uh, that makes a lot more sense now. So uh, I well I always hate naming living politicians. I think that's cheating. And generally, you don't know someone's full legacy, of course, until they pass away. But my favorite Republican is President uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and I would say. Anyone who has not read about Roosevelt needs to read some. There's so many good biographies about him out there. Go read something. Uh, one, the man is absolutely insane. Like he is, <laughs> yeah. he's just crazy, and not even crazy in a way of like this guy's a loony. I don't want him anywhere near me. But just the stuff he did in his life, he was, was nonstop. He was like. He was no, like in terms of high energy, there literally is no one that is more high energy than, than President Roosevelt was. Uh, and he was such a dramatic leader, both for the Republican Party, but I also think he has such a strong influence on the GOP today, uh, especially with a lot of the folks in D.C. who I think are leaning and sort of finding out what that post-Trumpism looks like. So uh, he's my favorite Republican president. Uh, so yeah, I'll leave it at that. We know a number of folks who very highly value the man in the arena speech, mm-hmm. as I, everybody yeah. who's involved in I politics should. have a should. wooden and, plaque on my wall with that mm-hmm. speech. And that's yeah. I, Teddy Roosevelt. If that's his greatest legacy, and obviously there are legion legacies that Teddy Roosevelt has left us, but man in the arena, listeners, viewers, if you haven't read it yet, go find a copy. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, that's about the end of it. Thank you so much for coming over and doing this with us. And uh, I guess to to your viewers as well, have a have a good one. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Berlowski. Lauren Christensen is our producer. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts.